0: a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthane Sanders. On this episode, part two of our conversation with Cody Norad. Cody is the executive director of Georgia Interfaith Power and Light. He's also a drummer. And for AIJCast's first IRL conversation in 18 months, Cody and I had a chance to catch up in his office here in Atlanta. So I'm interested in, in your International peacemaking work. Tell me about that. I know you've you've done work in Israel, Palestine, and in Belfast. Yeah, miss that work. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, um, you know, I went to undergrad at Stanford University, did a degree in religion, and my intention was to become a pastor. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years of that, I decided I don't think I want to do a pastor anymore. I'm trying to sort out like what am I trying to do? What do I even believe anymore?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Been so, there, done that. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do social justice work. You know, because I know that loving people is the right choice, right. even though I don't know the other stuff. So I'll do that. I went to go do my Masters of Divinity at Candler School of Theology at Emory and they had a concentration, Justice, Peace Building, and Conflict Transformation. And I became more and more interested in international conflict, particularly international conflict undergirded by religious extremism or religious difference. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I did some work in Israel and Palestine, primarily in Israel and Palestine. I was working on an archaeological dig, which is another fun thing, yeah. piece of my past. And then in Belfast, yeah, I spent four months in Belfast working with the Irish Republican Army mm. and the Ulster Volunteer Force and different members of the government there. And then also bringing over... Um, groups of people from the Middle East, Israel and Palestine, specifically to learn about the peace process Hmm. in Belfast. Hmm. It was incredible work. It was very, very important to me. However, when I was there, I was attending a meeting with members of the World Bank and members of the Irish Embassy and a couple of other people because... Um, this was down in Dublin, they were going to make a presentation to the United Nations because this was right when the Syrian migration was happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of refugees out of Syria were coming through Europe and they were trying to figure out what's our plan for this. And it was in that moment that I realized, you know, that conflict stems obviously from all sorts of things. But one of the things that got me thinking was most of the worldwide conflicts are caused by some sense of resource depletion or resource mismanagement. Absolutely. Starting to be more and more driven by climate change. Yeah. And so when I came back to the United States, I thought, if you really want to get at international peace building, what you need to do is focus on climate change. Yeah. Because if you don't fix climate change... You can't really do peace building work effectively because the main thing that causes conflict is
0: only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So that's how I transitioned into this role. Is that still part of something that feeds what you do? I mean, it, it is something like you say, you missed that work in particular. You've got a different kind of work now. Is, is it something that still feeds it? Is it still something that's part of it? Or is it more kind of part of the path that led you here? I think it's part of the path that led me here, and more and more I'm trying to find
1: what those connections are. You know, I mean, it's an international crisis. Yeah. It's hard to separate climate from anything else. I would say climate is one of the most intersectional justice issues.
0: Sure, yeah. That exists. I mean, Israel-Palestine is part of my background as well, and I think about how— for all of the historic pieces that fit into that. Now it is so much about access to water and who controls the water, not talking about the sea. I'm talking about drinkable potable water. Who's got access to the aqueducts that are under the earth in yeah. the West Bank and Israel and Galilee and so yeah, on and Sea of so Galilee well. is shrinking. Sea of Galilee is shrinking, the Dead Sea is basically gone. Gone. Yeah. It's still there. You can still get a little bit of mud on you, but you gotta go yeah. a lot farther. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that only stems,
1: you know, for those people who care about conflict and stability. It's about resources and it's mm-hmm. about climate.
0: Yeah. You've got situations that you talked about where you Israel, Palestine, Northern Ireland explicitly religion is part of the conflict. There are those who would say, and and there are times where I'm tempted to be one of those people that would say, well, then get rid of religion. (laughs) Sure. But there's also possibility there, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, strip it all the way back to the question of, like, what is religion? Yeah. Sure, get rid of religion, but... (laughs) You know, psychology of religion, just drill all the way down, you know, James Fowler yeah. is religion is how human beings make meaning in the world. Yeah. So we're all doing religion. Right. We're all making meaning. Um, and so really, you know, this work is trying to tap into stories. Yeah. If you've done any work around really anything related to a justice issue, but climate specifically data doesn't convince anybody to do anything differently. Mm. Stories do. Mm. Stories motivate people to go to war. Mm-hmm. Stories motivate people to baptize their children. Mm-hmm. Stories make people give money to different causes. Stories make them do everything that we do is because of stories. Yeah. And um, there's no more powerful stories than the stories that religion presents. Yeah. All theologies interpretation. And so all storytelling is interpretation. And so we have to figure out, you know, what stories are we telling? How are we telling them? How are communities interpreting them? And if the story is incorrect, you know, which I would say are stories that say we should dominate the earth and let's just go ahead and get out of here because our existence is in a heavenly place. Mm -hmm. It's not in this one. Mm -hmm. I would say it's an incorrect reading of a story. How do we tell better stories and how do we listen to community stories? Because in the peace building work, you can take with some healing and appropriate steps being taken and everybody being safe and psychological safety all those things that you know just trust that they're there you know when you bring victims and perpetrators together people whose families were killed in a conflict and the people who did the killing you can get some pretty powerful stories mm-hmm. and some pretty good understanding out of that and um it can be pretty transformational mm-hmm. Uh, way more understanding than hearing data about whatever from whatever, right. you know. And so similarly, um, we just finished up a documentary project where we're lifting up uh, communities on the coast, mm-hmm. uh, specifically Black communities running Black churches on the coast, and the environmental injustices that they're experiencing and what they're experiencing from sea level rise. And people need to listen to those stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, going back to the tenet of communities that loving neighbor is an important part of what they do stories are what change hearts and minds and the stories of those who are being affected and the stories of what is to come and you know those kind of things i think is
0: important tell us about this documentary project
1: yeah uh we just finished up a small documentary it's about four and a half minutes long or actually we're releasing it next week uh, as part of a coastal climate resilience summit and uh, it interviews two pastors on the coast who are running two different congregations there in Brunswick, Georgia, as well as uh, Georgia interfaith power and lights own Hermina glass Hill, who is our coastal and environmental justice organizer on the coast. It's in Brunswick, Georgia, which is, if you don't know anything about that, it's in Glenn County. That's the same County that has St. Simon's Island right. in it. Um, but that County in particular faces some of the most harmful environmental justice problems in the state. Mm-hmm. It has, four Superfund sites, federally designated Superfund
0: sites in that county, among another handful of toxic waste sites there. Superfund sites are sites that are eligible for massive fund injection because of environmental disaster.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, it's a paint plant that was disposing of some toxic waste for a very long period of time. And, you know, in a lot of cases, there's no way to fix it, really. It's more about like, let's just kind of Hope that we can hold all the soil in a spot and maybe over 30 years of remediation, we can try to get rid of most of it. And this is a particular problem because on the coast, these storms will tear up this dirt. They will throw toxic sludge all over communities. You know, there's no way for us to account for that right now. No one's thinking about that, I don't Hmm. think, in the way that we should. Hmm. Is Glenn County, does that include a lot of the barrier islands? Yeah, it includes uh, some of the barrier islands. I think Jekyll is technically in uh, Glen County as well. You know, Georgia has, I can't remember, a dozen or more barrier islands,
0: only a couple of which are developed and inhabitable. And they're also seeing the effects of climate change and yeah. sea level rise quite dramatically.
1: I mean, honestly, we are so lucky that someone had the foresight to ensure that the majority of those barrier islands would not be developed. You know, Mm -hmm. that is a a huge win for us, and any way that we can ensure that they don't get developed and that those dunes stay there and the vegetation stays there, I think it's a huge benefit to us. Yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit more about the policy work that Gipple does. Yeah, like I said, I mean,
1: what we try to do is to prepare people to interrupt systemic injustice Mm -hmm. and to create a more just world. And that happens through policy. And I think what's important for people to realize is like, that's what we have to do. A lot of faith communities, a lot of people of faith don't want to, or are scared of, or just aren't used to weighing in on issues of policy, Mm -hmm. you know, and like I said earlier, but what we're called to do is to be in the public square Mm Being prophetic, holding people to account. And so I think, you know, there are a lot of decision makers, both at the Public Service Commission who make energy related issues and at the state legislature that makes all sorts of regulations happen. Uh, we need to be in those spaces. Mm. People of faith need to be in those spaces talking about why it's a matter of faith for them to make a more just society. Mm-hmm. Because if we aren't, other people are telling other stories or misrepresenting entire religious traditions because of what they believe, you know, and that's the only stories. They're never going to hear the stories that we have to tell if we don't go there and tell them. So I think it's incredibly important. And 2022 is an incredibly important year generally for politics and for policy making because you mentioned the IPCC report, you know, what, we have five years or so, 10 years to make a big difference. You know, this is a, a once in every three-year rate case and the Integrated Resource Planning Opportunities coming before the Public Service Commission uh, this year, which means, um, for those of you that are listening, they take all of Georgia Power's assets. They know what assets they're going to build over the next 20 or 30 years, how they're going to incorporate that into bills and rates and all those things. What it really means is they can require them to do more solar. Mm. They can make it easier for individuals, businesses, nonprofits to put solar on their own homes and their own buildings, they can make it so that people experiencing high levels of energy burden don't mm-hmm. anymore. They can require Georgia Power to invest in low income energy efficiency programs. They can require all sorts of things like that. And there's no other mechanism to do that kind of systemic work outside of policymaking. There just mm. simply is not. Mm. And so if you really care about the work, you got to get engaged in policy work.
0: Cody Norred on AIJCast. We'll be back to more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com. It's there that you'll find links to our artists, including their news, information, and products. Among the things you'll find there is Georgia Interfaith Power and Light's short film, Faithful Resilience, Climate Change in Georgia. And you can find this and so much more, just go to our website, AIJCast.com. And now back to more of our conversation with Cody Norred. But before we jump into that, let's listen to a little bit more of Cody playing the cajon. You're a drummer.
1: I'm a drummer. What's yeah. up with that? You know, it just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a drummer. I uh, I started playing drums in the sixth grade uh-huh. in middle school band. My dad played drums in band, and so, you know, I was going to play drums in band. Yeah. I actually credit drumming with how I actually got more involved in faith communities. Hmm. It was in middle school and early high school that I started playing drums for churches around mm-hmm. LaGrange, and and that kind of followed me for the rest of my life, making music, mm-hmm. and got me deeper into art communities and that
0: sort of expression. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I didn't know what I was believing, mm-hmm. I would go play drums. That's so interesting that I was just having a conversation around someone around the similar idea that being a musician in a worship context might mean that there are times when you are participating without knowing whether you agree with everything that's happening in that. community. Yeah, And there's a persistence about it that allows the percolation of the thoughts and the doubts and so on and so forth until they either reach a resolution or they don't. And that yeah. resolution may be to stay. It may be to go, or it may be to sit in the midst and go, I still don't know, but I want to be in it. Does that resonate yeah. with your experience?
1: Yeah, you know, I think in a similar way that sacraments provide a, a mysterious thing to be a part of, even if everything in the in a service, you know, or in a community doesn't make a lot of sense, or even if you disagree with it, there's something about the sacraments that transcend that, that give you a, that symbol, that practice is, is an expression and, hmm. and links you with the holy. I think similarly music can do that. Hmm. It's a transcendent thing. It's full of of contradictions and intimacy and mystery. Mm-hmm. I think music is probably the one of the most intimate types of art that you can make with other people because hmm. you're co-creating simultaneously, yes-anding each other in immediate time. It's only the that I can think of is making music and dancing are the only things that really do that. Mm. If being in community matters for what it means to be faithful, mm-hmm. then making music... With a community is like a heightened version of that. It's mm. you're co creating together
0: in, uh, you know, immediately in the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Digging a little deeper into the drums. So, drums and percussion are kind of part of that same family, but there's also a kind of a distinction. You got your kit, right? Yeah. You got your kick and your <laughs> snare and your hi hat and whatever else. But then you've also got congas and a cajon and all these kind of things. And I'm wondering, I know you do a little bit of everything, so I'm curious curious about the connection between the two. Is it a natural one? Is it something that you had to kind of grow beyond drums in order to get the percussion, vice versa? So I started playing snare drum,
1: and then I moved to a drum kit, because that's what you do when you're in middle school or high school. You say, I'm going to get a drum set for sure. Of course. And then when I went to college, there was something called University Ministries there, and they had a big band. It was the first time that I'd ever seen a band that large with this kind of vibe. You know, you're thinking like... Old school Gungor or something. You've got mm-hmm. like an organ and piano and a banjo and a fiddle and three drummers. You know, it's a whole deal, but no set. Yeah. It was a djembe and a cajon. And I had never played either. And they asked me to sit in. And I said, sure, I'll do it, you know. And uh, that's when I first started to learn how to play cajon. Yeah. And then I picked up djembe later. Yeah, I just learned and it became natural flow in that space. I played there for four years nice. with that group of people. And that's how I got into it. And then it became so clear how much more appropriate hand percussion is for so many things that, mm.
0: you know, a kit isn't and then it can create kind of a more intimate mm-hmm. experience depending mm-hmm. on what's going on here. What are the transferable skills from a kit to percussion and what doesn't work? That's a great question. I mean, what, what doesn't work is that with a kit,
1: With not a lot of effort, you can produce a lot of sounds. Yeah. You know, you've got your bass drum that's going on your foot. You've got your hi-hat. You've got your snare. You're going to hit a cymbal. You can fill out the sound pretty easily. What's difficult about moving to a cajon or a djembe is to fill the sound, you have way less options. Mm -hmm. So you just have your two hands. Right. You know, you've got two sounds you can make at a time. So what it requires is you're going to do more complicated beats. You're going to be doing things that you wouldn't normally do on a kit. Yeah, I would say what's transferable is maybe the patterns and the beats yeah. that you can hear in your mind. Having rhythm. Yeah, but the way that you execute them, totally different. What my hands would do on a kit compared to a cajon if I was going to play the same song, completely different, even though
0: it might sound pretty similar. Drum kits are interesting because, on the one hand, it is like this very primitive kind of thing where you're just, you've got these clubs in your hand, <laughs> and you're kicking things with your ear. Yeah. You're stomping on stuff with your feet. And yet there's a finesse to it because there's coordination going on. So there is kind of a dancing that's happening yeah. as well. Whereas with the percussion, it's just one instrument. Right. So that has its own kind of primitive identity, but you're using your fingers as well as different you know, yeah. strengths and pulling back and all that kind of it's stuff. It's
1: a lot more meticulous. I mean, when you start playing drums, you just hit everything the same. You know, and then it's later that you realize that dynamics are pretty important. (laughs) And I would say they're even more important when it comes to hand percussion because what you can do and to get that sort of the extremes Mm -hmm. requires you to do a lot more paying attention and lighter tapping. It's funny that you talk about dancing. When I used to play cajon in college, I move a lot when I play. I, I don't move as much anymore. I used to move a lot and people would kind of be like, are you what's going on up there? You know, <laughs> or people would say like, Oh, it's really cool. You really get into it. And I would just never know because you're just kind of flowing with the music. Yeah. You know, you're mo- moving and trying to figure it out. Yeah. So
0: you think of yourself as a drummer. I mean, that's a sixth grade. That's pretty early on. Pretty that early is establishment way. of identity. So even though it's got this place where you play in a worship band at church and you're you're involved in that in a faith perspective, is it still kind of segmented off from these other things that have become part of who you are, this international peace worker, this uh, climate activist?
1: You know, I think it's pretty connected Okay, because, you know, in a similar way to storytelling, I would say I'm a musician and an artist generally, you know, I do a lot of writing, do some poetry work Hmm. and, you know, obviously moving in their religious space and sermon writing and all that stuff. It's art Mm -hmm. in a way. And so, but there was something interesting in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. There's a fabulous program. Uh, It's located in Belfast. Linda Irvine is the woman who runs it and it's a language center. Mm -hmm. So it was, the idea was to teach people in Northern Ireland who aren't connected to their Irish roots as much how to speak Gaelic. As a piece of that, they started a music circle mm. where they would invite people to play from more Irish traditions and more Northern Irish traditions. Mm-hmm. And there would even be people there from, you know, who had previously been from one side of the road, you know, and, and then don't gather yeah. with these types of people. But music, they would play. And it was a peace building strategy. They yeah. would get to know each other. They would play together. And they had different styles. Yeah. and But it would build a rapport. And I think that that's super important for our work is that you can build rapport through all sorts of creative outlets yeah. that allow you to trust people to have the kinds of conversations that you really want to have. But what you need to do first is just remember that you're both good-willed creatures. Right. And a way to do that is music, right. I think.
0: Have you done that with any of the work you're doing around climate? I have not. I would love to. Yeah. What I realize about myself
1: is that my whole job is to work on climate and environmental justice issues. Hmm. The amount of time that I spend now out in the natural world is quite low. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded when I do it how much of a shame that is. Hmm. And that while we're working on really important issues, what's also important is to remember why we do it and to enjoy those those things, those Mm -hmm. really holy moments, to enjoy, to laugh, to have a jubilant expression to have some rest, Mm. you know, and I think music offers that in a particular way. You know, we, we always gather to have very serious conversations about very serious issues that are very important, but you can't do that all the time. You have to also have some expression and have some collision of, of art and, you know, a way to, to resonate and enjoy. And so I think sometimes it's just helpful to go, if you go on a paddle trip or you go on a hike that might do more For the work that you're trying to do on climate because it's going to inspire you and remind you what Mm -hmm. you're doing and it's going to remind you who you are and you're going to rest and you're going to clench your hands and you're going to feel them differently and you're just going to get a different perspective yeah and i think music can offer the same thing or art generally
0: it reminds me of the role that worship is supposed to play that communal worship is supposed to play as well right that as a person of faith both of us speaking from the christian experience it's not that your faith begins and ends at the door of the church on a sunday morning But that experience should be what helps to propel you and keep you anchored and and to other people and to the center of the cause so that you might go out and do that the rest of the week.
1: Yeah. I mean, worship's a prime example. Spend a lot of time setting up sound and practicing and trying to get things right because everyone's trying to be professional and do their best. And it's those moments where you actually get into it in a service or even in a practice Mm -hmm. where you realize like, oh, there's a holiness moving about the room right now. And, uh, it's not always a performance. It's, it can happen anytime you can choose to go out into the world and to flip that lens on to Mm -hmm. see in that way. And I think it's, it creates a vulnerability inside each of us that helps us be better human beings in the world for Mm. whatever thing we care about.
0: Mm. I love that. Cody, if you had a charge or a piece of wisdom for folk that are listening, whether that's a well you go to again and again or something that our conversation has sparked, what would it be?
1: For issues of climate and environmental justice,
0: really believe
1: that you can make a difference and really, really believe that we have to do something now. Believe that we have to have people in elected offices that make choices based on climate and justice Believe that if we don't, things will be incredibly bad and people will lose their lives, they will lose their livelihoods, we will lose food systems. But more importantly than that, believe that if you try, that you can actually make a difference. You know, so much of what's paralyzing is, why try? Because the problem's so huge. And I can tell you, as a person who spends a lot of time and a lot of coalitions fighting against people who have a lot of money, that we will never have enough money to win out against corporations or politicians or whatever, but we do have the people and everything that's ever happened has happened because people actually believe that they could change something and they, and they, and they tried to do it.
0: Cody Norred, thanks for being on
1: AIJCast. Thanks for having me.
0: Cody Norred on AIJCast. You can find out more about Georgia interfaith power and light at their website, G I P L org on our next episode recorded live at wild goose festival this year singer songwriter Semler. aijcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you you are the ones that make this all possible so please do take just a moment and go to our website aijcast.com where you'll click on the link that says support and we do love to see you on social media where we live on a number of platforms at aijcast our theme music comes from our house band, Marred Fame. And we're engineered, mixed, and produced by the coquettish Al-Mudif, who's absolutely clear when it comes to identifying his favorite science fiction character. Data. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I leave you with justice and peace. Peace. <laughs>